0: This is mission.org.
1: I started being fascinated by the fact, like, why do people like Starbucks? I never saw a Starbucks ad, but I'm always seeing it on social. I'm always seeing the cups. And I was curious, like, okay, somebody told the story about the brand and attached some human characteristics to brands and why we like them. And it was the same logic. Like I like Kobe because of specific things. This is why I kind of connect with brands. I decided that I want to create a brand that is still profitable, but lovable. I was lucky enough to
0: stumble upon Lemlist, which believes in the same thing. Sometimes we as marketers get so caught up in who the customer is, and who we are trying to reach that we forget to really introduce ourselves as a company to the world. In the end, the goal is to make sure people know who we are and remember us. The best way to do this is by making our story known. Show our human side and make a personal connection. That can be far more powerful than any set of data we can get. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. And today, we're going to hear from the head of growth at Limblist, Vuk Vuklasavljevic. He's helped their company grow by leaps and bounds and was the first full-time employee they ever brought on. His knowledge of marketing was amazing. It's clearly an obsession of his. He even got me thinking about the importance of data that we're all so worried about losing due to privacy issues and realizing there's much better ways to reach people. I don't wanna give away too much, Let's dive into it. Just before you hopped on, I was reading this really cool article that disappeared, but it was the story of kind of zero to 10 million in ARR, how you guys basically bootstrap that. Mm. Incredible article, man. And I, what's interesting is I can't remember if we connected from when I opted into L- Limbless myself and that's how we got connected or did you guys reach out? But either way, I heard about your product and then I saw that you were coming on. But did you? are you here because I opted in? Is that how we originally connected? I think we connected in the past, but uh, it's not the
1: reason. I think uh, you have a great ah. thing going on and I think it's just uh, great months connecting.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super excited, man. It sounds like there's been a ton of really cool growth happening at Limlist, and we want to get into all that stuff. And as I was looking at your, at this article, I want to just ask you right off the bat here, um, I love this. There was something about growth circle of love. Mm. And I just want to hear more about that. I think the article goes into good detail here, but tell me about the growth of love and, and kind of what that's about in terms of Limlist.
1: Yeah, so I think it goes back to our core mission uh, from the very days of when we were discussing like how, how Lambless is going to position in the market. Uh, you have a situation where a lot of our competitors and respect to them, of course, are focusing on automation and are focusing on like sending a lot of emails and uh, just uh, trying to scale as much as possible. And we see it a bit differently. The users that use Lemlist know that uh, it's about building relationships. And uh, I just ended the conversation with uh, one person like a minute ago. It takes a lot like a cliche, but it's really not because uh, you need to, of course, automate the boring stuff from your plate, but you have to free time for the most important, which is the goal of the cold email is to start a conversation, not to sell. And I think this insane, but still healthy obsession towards personalization, I think it transpired in everything we're doing. This is how growth circle of love came in. Like when we were creating content. Uh, The depreciation for us was really uh, like, let's make it actionable as possible. We were using our own product to grow our company and uh, we shared everything. The good stuff we did, the bad stuff we did, never do this because it doesn't work, do this because it worked great. And a lot of uh, all was proved back by data. And I think this lab component is really trying to be focusing on the right stuff in outreach and trying to add as much as possible value to people. And it's no, I didn't invent the wheel with this one, but uh, it's really critical.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. You're, it's so true. I mean, you, you know, as I review all the things that are written on this article and, and we'll share this, I mean, as I looked at the whole article, Vuk, what I saw was these people are just genuinely sharing a lot of really great content. They actually want to help their customer. So they have YouTube channels, they're sharing articles, they're on podcasts, they're doing this consistently. And they're doing it kind of collectively because there's different people on the team sharing from their channel and sharing to this audience. And so it's this kind of beautiful in like to your point, circle of love, right? Where how can we provide so much value to the marketplace where people are going to just respond? And, and that's how you get numbers like zero to 10 million in ARR and counting. Were you in the early days of LibList? Were you there from the very beginning, or did you come in the middle of the rocket ship, or where, where did you get into this, this party? Yeah, I'm,
1: uh, I'm proud to say that I'm the
0: company's first employee. Wow. It goes way
1: back in uh, 2018. Guillaume, Vianney, and Francois, the three co founders, uh-huh. they finished their beta, they launched uh, the first version of the product, and they did some UX switches. It was a couple of months already on the market. And uh, I was looking for an early stage startup where I could join a head of growth position do some fun stuff in marketing and, uh, try to be of service in growing the company in an industry I understand. So this was kind of the outcome. And I thought it was, uh, it was really funny to cold email, a cold email tool founder, <laughs> so I sent a cold email to Guillaume said that, uh, I want to be landless Kobe Bryant. I think this was my subject line. I'm a massive Kobe <laughs> fan. Yes, that's great. And yeah, they offered me an opportunity to join a few projects. And after a few months I joined full time. So. I've been here for a long time. <laughs> wow.
0: Okay, so how many people are on the team
1: right now? Uh, we're on a major hiring spree, so I might miss a few, but uh, I think we're closing on uh, 50-something, so 55, 60 people when we finish the hiring.
0: Wow. And everybody is remote? Is everybody, some in Europe, some in the U.S.? We are fully remote. Uh, a lot of people are in Paris where the headquarters are, but uh, we have people around the, around the world, mostly in Europe. So I, I love this part that I read as well, where it talked about the more you document things and build an audience, the more opportunities you're going to get. And I think that's interesting, the the part about documenting like the story. And I saw something about a docu-series coming out as well, uh, which I, I want to check out. Yeah. I saw a promo for that, but I think it's an interesting perspective. I know, I think about our company admission, Mission, and we have, we have such a cool story of how we've, ridden this roller coaster and, and arrived to this stage now. And I don't know that we always tell that story a lot. I don't know that we've really documented the journey and shared as much as, we, you know, as we're just growing and, and scaling. So I love that focus there of like, hey, let's, let's tell the world what we're actually doing, good, bad, ugly, and do it the entire way. Mm. Can you talk about maybe the approach there? Why did you go that route? Why did you double down on, hey, let's actually document our journey?
1: Yeah, I think uh, content in general has been one of the most important growth pillars for us. If you take this uh, story as an example, the second employee of Limelist was uh, today's head of video, but back then it was a video editor. So we had video people before sales was built, before marketing team was built, Wow! You know, even without take LinkedIn out of the equation, I don't think we'll be the company that we are today because uh, Guillaume as a founder was uh, the first in the company who started documenting and posting a lot on LinkedIn and everybody in the company followed. But the trick there is obviously as, as much as content you create, you raise brand awareness, you connect with people, you turn your LinkedIn profile into some sort of elite lead magnet, whether we're talking about top of the funnel or mid of the funnel content, it, it can work in either way but uh, what's important is there's a lot of content creators uh, and the opportunity here is not to maybe you know just post that at all costs but really post something you know create from truth really and uh, creating from truth for us meant okay outreach there are some misunderstandings in the industry and we want to explain that it's not the case but it has to be proved by data approved by practitioners you know mindset and everything so when we speak about cold email it doesn't feel like we should speak about it and try to teach anybody if we never sent a cold email campaign in our life and for everything else growing the company and everything so we weren't the masters of i don't know like uh, top of the funnel back in the first days of lameless but we documented certain growth experiments that we did and we shared them transparently so if somebody would come to my dm or left a public comment about asking, hey, you try this. I'm not gonna speak about some fairy tales that we did. I'm gonna tell, hey, we did this, it didn't work. We had some you know, troubles there, but we figured it out. And SEO is a prime example. It took me one and a half year to figure out how does SEO work? And uh, I like to speak about the shortcomings in the same way I like to speak about the good stuff that we did. And I think if you lead by example, uh, like our CEO did in the beginning, it translates to the rest of the people, and everybody who joins Longlist is motivated to create their own personal brand. And 90% of content they post is something—it's their voice. We don't write their content; we don't tell them what to write. From time to time, there's a company, you know, campaign. But apart from that, it's them who are, you know, sh- creating from their truth and uh, using their own yeah. experience to speak about things. And I think if, when you combine all that. It creates a great awareness funnel and it also translates to user acquisition, considering how LinkedIn Organic has worked for the past few years. Wow.
0: How big is the marketing team?
1: Soon it's going to be 10 people. Right now, I think it's seven, but uh, three more people should join shortly.
0: How do you structure the team in terms of like, do you have like a focus of folks that are on the top of the funnel middle? Like, do you you know have folks that are purely strategy? You've got folks running campaigns and the, what's the layout, if you will, of like the specialist on that team at a high level?
1: Yeah, it took me uh, a few months in 2021 to figure out what's the best way to approach it. But uh, I think uh, for us, it's it's mostly projects. Obviously, projects are okay. divided across different funnel stages. But what we like to see in Notion, for instance, we are heavy users of Notion. There are projects that are important for us, which are matched against our OKRs. And then we can see who's on what project. And we're trying to create a situation right now, since we have the resources that we didn't have in the beginning to have specialists rather than generalists. So we don't want Mm. a situation where a social media manager is doing and writing blog articles. Sometimes it can happen right. uh, it's never perfect. But mm-hmm. if you're like thinking long-term, you want people dedicated to certain things so they can also scale, you know, and they can level up so that the personal growth can can match the, the company growth. But in any case, the way we structure it is everybody has their own projects. They are connected. So if somebody is doing social media, they will be, all the projects will be kind of, same skills will be required. So storytelling and things like that. And uh, this is the way we do it. And if we have a project that we want to do in the future and we don't have the right person for it, or uh, simply a person who's handling something similar, doesn't have the bandwidth to do it, we're going to bring somebody on board. So
0: right now, this approach is working good for us. So how about just, you know, in terms of you, Vuk, like where did the, the marketing interest start with you? Was it when you were much younger? When did you get exposed to marketing that you decided to take this path?
1: Yeah, a uh, good question. I think I wrote this in uh, my about section on LinkedIn. So as a kid, I was fascinated by sports. One of the sports that I was really fascinated was basketball. Mm-hmm. However, reaching high school, I was also interested in just hanging out with people and chilling and uh, not really working that hard, you know? So I kind of let the basket, basketball slide. And uh, I wasn't, that, wasn't happy with the decision, but I wasn't devastated either. So I started looking around and just tasting things let's see, how does this feel? Let's see, how does this feel? I had great parents and a great family who always supported me no matter what and told me, just, you know, do you, you'll figure it out. Doesn't matter if you figure it out to 55 or 25. So I never had that pressure, ah. you know, which was important as a kid. And then somewhere down the line, I, I was good at writing in my high school. I always had it, uh, like it was easy. Words were coming into my mind and I started being fascinated by the fact like, why do people like Starbucks? I never saw a Starbucks ad, but I'm always seeing it on social. I'm always seeing the cups, like uh, even Apple, everybody has an iPhone, but I never saw an iPhone ad. And I was curious, like, okay, somebody told the story about the brand and uh, attached some human characteristics to brands and why we like them. And it was the same logic. Like I like Kobe because of specific things. This is why I kind of connect with brands. I decided that I want to create a brand that, you know, is still profitable, but lovable. And uh, I was lucky enough to stumble upon Lemlist, which believes in the s- same thing. And uh, I could really, mm-hmm. I could really, you know, try to do my best work here. So this is how it uh, woke in me. And I would just, just one step at a time.
0: Wow. Are you one of those marketers that's always kind of learning and educating and, and kind of thinking about where things are coming down the pipeline? Or do you feel like you're more in the strategy, the day-to-day, you know, supporting the team, the specialists, the tacticians, et cetera? Well, how do you kind of dance in that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the, another cliche answer coming, I think the right solution is in the balance. Sure. So in early in 2021, I faced maybe the toughest challenge in my Lemlist uh, career, which was I was too operational and team was getting bigger. So I wasn't really acting as a leader. I was more as a just. Doing my projects and trying to be helpful as much as I can. And I learned to understand that it's not the right way if I want to be in this position. So first and foremost, I had a conversation with myself. What do I want to do? Because both can work. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be more than a captain. I wanted to be like a coach. So the company gave me the pleasure of working with a mentor for two months, uh, who was a few years ahead of me. And, uh, I got to ask all the questions and I understood that removing yourself operationally is one of the toughest things for a leader. However, you don't want to be that leader who, you know, sits and doesn't do anything if you really crave to do a few projects of your own. And I like to have my hands in the dirt. It's just the way I was crafted mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a balance. So most of the time it goes to strategic stuff and coaching and being of service but I have a few projects I'm running on the side and I don't think it will ever change.
0: Mm. I love that. I love that answer. What are some of the like, big things you're working on right now? Like, what are some of the big um, challenges or just cool problems you're getting to solve right now at the stage of growth at LibList is that now?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, user acquisition is, is, was always something that I'm, I'm handling and there are different you know, sprints depending on what year we're talking about. But right now, a lot of my time is also dedicated to product marketing. I uh, realized that the bottom of the funnel and uh, everything that happens after a free trial in the SaaS world is really fascinating. And I was uh, astonished by the fact that uh, in Q4, we launched a new set of agency features for our users. And for the three months in Q4, we leveraged our external infrastructure to bring more users in. And in three months, we had like a specific number of leads. It doesn't really matter. But in January, we did some internal product marketing stuff. So I was fascinated with working with devs and building this in-app homepage. So when you log into LAMLEST, you have like an in-app homepage and I've used this homepage to also promote and, you know, attract agencies to apply. Mm. And in one month that homepage brought more leads than three months of external promotion. Wow. And, uh, okay. We had a lot of users and I understand it's not the same for, for everybody, but I begin to realize that product marketing is a, uh, is massive. It's a tough challenge. It requires syncing with different teams. And another interesting thing is it's really hard to find a product marketer on the marketing side that's really experienced in this. Like it's one of the toughest roles I'm hiring at the moment.
0: Wow. Well, if you think back on your time there from, you know, the beginning employee number one till now, uh, over 10 million in ARR, what's been your, your best day, you know, there a day that's like really memorable of like, this was a big win. And then also what's been like the most challenging day. Yeah. Good question. I think, uh, there's a lot of these
1: things when you go back. I think we had some uh, really funny and cool stuff that we did in the early days that you know makes you laugh because it was only four of us, five of us, six of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe recently, January was a great month for us. I think everybody in the team did a specific experiment and everybody was thrilled after the new year and uh, the numbers were really great. We overpassed our January objective and it was like a really, really good month. I did this good presentation at the end showcasing people stuff that we did where we see the next opportunities and the Slack reactions and everything, and kind of like the vibe in, in our virtual office and everything was really good. So January made me, made me really happy, Mm -hmm. but, uh, a challenge, there's even more of those, I guess, but, uh, I think the, the toughest challenge was the one I mentioned earlier, the, the leadership one and, uh. Okay. Building my credibility as a, as a leader and, uh, removing myself operationally and learning to accomplish KPIs yeah. through others and supporting them through their own mistakes and not being that guy who just, you know, somebody makes a mistake and you're like, rah, 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 rah. It's, it's not the point. So I think right. leadership is something fascinating. I think it's maybe the toughest challenge of them all. And, uh, it, it took me a while to figure it out. And I, I remember the nights I was feeling super frustrated when things are not working the way I wanted.
0: Yeah. Did you change your approach to marketing in general, including user acquisition and everything? Did you change your approach in the last couple of years or did you really just stuck to what was working and consistently have done that on? We've talked to some brands who had to totally like reprioritize metrics or change lots of things depending on you know, the shift of the industry. Did you guys notice big you know, opportunities to change things based on how the world was around you? I think you're always adapting. I, I feel like
1: we didn't change our most important strategies on a macro level. So content, community, okay. things like that from day one until day, we just expanded. And we just modified micro things that didn't work. So we understood that this particular maybe content silo doesn't work, change it. We understood that SEO didn't work in the way that we did it there must be another way. But I, I don't think we ever sacrificed the strategy. We had some failed projects as, as every other company. We also have multi-products, uh, which makes things a bit more interesting and different products require different channels. I don't think on the macro side of things, we, we changed. We just uh, kept being as enthusiastic as you can be about the mistakes and failures you have. Yeah. Just to break them down in an honest way, we, have, we call them like post-mortems. You just have a call and you just try to objectively... And not in a personal way, analyze why something didn't work. And mm-hmm. the more you motivate people to take accountability, you know, being accountable and saying, like, I can give you an example. Like if I, if I have my one-on-one with Guillaume and if I tell, hey, the numbers this month are off, here's why I believe this is the case. I believe this was the mistake. And if you do this in a really objective way, it's, it's the way you grow. And the more uncomfortable situations like this you have and the more ownership you take, the better. So I think this was the thing we always modified. And I, I think we're modifying it today and we'll modify it until the end of life.
0: I think that's something I'm, I'm also kind of picking up from you is that, you know, is that Limbless has also created a culture of safety for people to fail, make mistakes, but also be celebrated. It looks like you celebrate wins a lot. And when people, you know, on the team are doing lots of collaborative things, you guys celebrate that. And like, to your point just now, it's like, hey, when we mess up, let's look at it objectively, let's figure out what happened, then let's move on. And that creates a really nice container of safety where someone can actually say, hey, look, I'm not afraid to fail now because I have the support of the leadership. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that the only things that you want to be careful there is you don't want to repeat the same mistakes and uh, you don't want to have people who are maybe reactive a lot rather than proactive. And I totally agree with you. I think it's, it's important for people to know that you have their back when the things are not going well. It's the same story that our parents told us. Like, it's easy to be with me when uh, I'm, I have money or my grades are good or whatever. But if I don't get a good grade, even though it's my own fault, it's not a bad idea to tap open a bottle of scotch and just have a laugh.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I get it. That uh, makes sense. Did you have a chance to look at the three articles on the prep doc at all? I skimmed through them. So the, the first one was around... Clients are digging into modern marketing. And this was an article on Media Daily News. It quotes, Modern marketing is about customer experience at every touchpoint, point, building relationships with customers, adapting continuously the new digital landscapes and marketing across multiple channels to reach different customers. Customer expectations are only going up and rarely, if ever, will advertisers admit to meeting those expectations. Question for you, Vuk. What do you think most customers expect from marketing these days? And what can, you know, the CMOs listening do to meet these expectations of customers?
1: Yeah, good question. I think most people expect to relate. They expect to connect. And it's not just connecting with the brand. It's if you're reading an article about, I don't know, email outreach strategy, you want to understand that the people went through the pain that they're going. So they want to believe that, yeah, okay, he or she was in my shoes, and then- you know, delivering on the promise of giving them value without overselling your product. So the way you're going to sell your product in that piece is you're just going to have it as a solution, but you're not going to advertise. You're just going to explain how you used it to fix a specific problem. And then, you know, backed up with credibility. And it doesn't always have to be good results. Even if you share that, hey, this didn't work. It's still documenting the process. You're not teaching, you're sharing. You're you're giving people some insight so they don't make the same mistake as you. So I feel like language positioning is something that marketing is made of. Like, and you, you know, you have an example of Slack, like when Slack appeared compared to the enterprise chat solutions that were before, like how they approach language and positioning. I think you have to use the examples, the words, the the analogies that your people use so they can connect, they can understand, and they can be like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to read that. I want to, test it out or not. So Mm. I feel like those are the expectations from from marketing and then everything else comes afterwards.
0: Cool. I love it. The next article is from uh, the Digital Commerce Global Summit and they released this trends report saying, quote, the metaverse is here and by 2027, expect retailers to have invested as much in their presence in virtual worlds as they do in the physical one. Web3 can help brands establish new age loyalty programs and communities while creating a revenue source not tied to the creation of more physical goods. Watch Nike and Starbucks to see where this is headed. Questions for you, Vuk. Do you think most consumers will want to head to the metaverse? They will. They will. It's the same game. I think Gary really speaks a lot about
1: it in, in his content. Like people were skeptic about other people, unknown people driving their kids to school. And now we have Uber. It was the same thing with social media. It was the same thing with, uh, crypto. So I think change is hard, but, uh, we should be open to change and, uh, Metaverse already won It's just uh, the matter of when it becomes like mainstream.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there things that you guys are thinking about how to play in that world as a company now? what are some of the things you're at least discussing or maybe you're already executing on things?
1: yeah, believe it or not, we have a, another product which is called members, which is a kind of a metaverse used for remote companies that you know have remote culture so you kind of create your avatar and you can connect with people, have meetings, you know do all kinds of stuff that you can. we're organizing events in it Wow, and there's a plenty of good stuff to be developed so I, I feel like we're Open to um, riding the wave of uh, Web3 and everything that comes with it. So Limverse is already active now. Yeah, it's free. You can, you can create your own universe, your own office, and uh, you'll see it's fun.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Where do folks go to find out about that? List limverse.com or? Limverse.com, yeah. Okay, cool. Are there any other trends that
1: you're seeing that you're excited about, I uh, Obviously, everybody's talking about NFTs. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated with the utility aspect of it. Like, uh, imagine me having, I don't know, I like Russ as a rapper and imagine Russ is at the beginning of his career and I buy an NFT, which gives me all the concerts, uh, tickets, maybe exclusive events and all that. I feel like it's a nice opportunity for artists. I feel like uh, I was too slow to educate myself on on NFTs and in, in, to go really in details, but uh-huh. I'm really fascinated where this is going. Obviously, there's like a, a wave of everybody trying to get rich in the short run, which is not going to work, and I don't care about that, but uh, right. this utility aspect and the community aspect is uh, is fascinating.
0: Mm, that's great. Uh, you said Russ, by the way, he's one of my all-time favorites as well, so <laughs> kudos on that. He's coming to Texas in a few months, and I'm going to go see him live for the first time. So okay, I'm, love Russ man. he's awesome. That's awesome. I, I hope I mean, yeah, I know you're going to have a great time.
1: Russ is uh, amazing.
0: Okay, next article talks about app tracking transparency harmful, says Facebook, as advertisers are leaving the platform. 9to5Mac has an article about um, Apple's new app tracking transparency feature, Meta, which was formerly Facebook, said it's harmful and it's led to the loss of the ability to target Facebook and Instagram users by their interests. Um, Do you, Vuk, think this sort of privacy feature is going to be a growing trend? I think it is
1: considering what happened in the past few years, I think it's, it's important. Like uh, when uh, the stuff around Facebook happened, I deleted my WhatsApp sister from my girlfriend sent me a, something in my Facebook settings. It's weird, it just, it's not the way, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm against it, but uh, I feel like privacy is an important uh, issue. And even, uh, you know, you have guys like Tim Solo, for, in, for example, the CMO of Traps, which is a big influence on my career. I've been following him for seven years, I think. And he doesn't use Google Analytics. He doesn't have a Facebook pixel on the website. It's a matter of, do you really need to track all the things in the privacy world? And and does it really matter to know every single detail about your traffic? And it's a fascinating conversation that we had with him. But uh, I believe privacy is important. And uh, the companies that are transparent, it's another thing that people relate to, especially in these times. So I feel like it's a, it's an important topic. Who is,
0: the, who is it you mentioned? Uh, Tim Solo, so the CMO of Ahrefs. Cool. I'd like to check, check that out. That's awesome. This has been great, by the way. Awesome. Thank you. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.